Well, our scripture reading for this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, verses 6 through 16. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 16. And if you're using one of the pew Bibles there, it's on page 953. So hear God's word. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom from, of God, which is decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for, they, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, no heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Thank you, Bill. Uh, my name is Paul Brandis, and I have the privilege of serving the Brookside campus uh, here uh, of Christ Community Church as a, the associate pastor. And I'm so glad that you are with us this morning. I see a lot of new faces. Um, that's always exciting. Probably some people here to see the, the wonderful and special uh, baby dedication. But whether this is your first time here or your hundredth, um, we are so glad that you are with us this morning. Would you bow your heads with me as I ask God to help us understand his word? Dear Father in heaven, thank you for who you are and thank you for what you do. I pray, God, that now as we turn to your word and as we examine 1 Corinthians 2, that you would give us understanding, that you would speak through me, God, that I would decrease as you increase, and that every single one of us would leave today knowing more about you, loving you more, and uh, following you better, God. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, as I've mentioned from up front a couple times in the last few months, uh, it won't be long before my wife Ashley and I are standing here like all of those uh, parents were this morning. We're expecting our first child um, in early April, and we are uh, excited and nervous, thrilled and terrified, all of these emotions somehow at once. It's very confusing. Uh, it's very confusing. But one of the things uh, that Ashley and I are both agreed upon that we're just totally psyched to get to do is to read to our child. Uh, both Ashley and I grew up in homes where our parents read regularly to us, and so we're very excited to carry on that tradition uh, to, our, to our son when the time comes for that. Uh, when I was growing up, one of the uh, first books that my mom read to me, or when I was old enough, one of the first books that my mom read when I was about seven or eight was the uh, classic work of fiction by C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. 
And I absolutely loved that book. And when I was old enough to read uh, those stories myself, my mom got me the rest of the series, and I, I just absolutely devoured them. And The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you're not familiar with it, if you haven't read it or seen the movie, uh, is a tale about four siblings who enter into another world, Narnia, by way of a magical wardrobe. That's how that gets into the title. Uh, They discover, these four siblings, they discover that they are the answer to an ancient prophecy which told that four sons and daughters of Abraham will come to sit and rule on the four thrones of Ker Paravel. At the beginning of the story, uh, Narnia is in the grip of the white witch who causes it to always be winter. Uh, For those of you that are perpetually cold, that's like the biggest nightmare ever, right? Always winter. One of the characters exclaims, always winter and never Christmas. Imagine that. Uh, Tragically, as the story progresses, Edmund, one of the four siblings, betrays the others and aligns himself with the white witch. Uh, The white witch's plan is to kill Edmund because she believes that with only three siblings left, the prophecy can never be fulfilled and she will be able to remain in control of Narnia forever. Eventually, Edmund realizes his mistake and he escapes the white witch. He comes back to his his brother and sisters and he tries to realign himself with the side that's resisting the white witch. This resistance is led by Aslan, a lion who is rightful king of Narnia. In a crucial scene, the white witch approaches Aslan to remind him of the deep magic. Lewis writes, Have you forgotten the deep magic? asked the witch. Let us say I have forgotten it, answered Aslan gravely. Tell us of this deep magic. Tell you, said the witch, her voice suddenly growing shriller, tell you what is written on the very stone table which stands beside us? You at least know the magic which the emperor put into Narnia at the very beginning. You know that every traitor belongs to me as my lawful prey and that for every treachery I have a right to a kill. And so Edmund is mine. His life is forfeit to me. His blood is my property. At this point, Aslan sends everyone else away and confers privately with the white witch. What we discover later is that he struck a deal with her, an exchange, a life for a life, Edmund's life for his life. Aslan willingly gives up his life to satisfy the deep magic so that Edmund can live. He walks into the hands of the white witch and is killed. Susan and Lucy, the two sisters of the four siblings, watch the killing from afar. When Aslan's killers leave, Susan and Lucy approach his body, weeping. They spend all night with him, only rising to go when the sun begins to come up. The movie adaptation captures this part of the story well. Let's watch. Isn't that such a powerful scene? In the book, at this moment, Aslan actually tells the girls that there was a deeper magic put in place before the dawn of time a deeper magic that the white witch knew nothing about. 
a deeper magic that caused even death itself to work backwards. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I couldn't help but wonder if C.S. Lewis was reading 1 Corinthians 2 when he was writing that part of the book. Because my biggest takeaway from our passage today, which Bill read just a couple of minutes ago, is that just like there's a deeper magic, there is also a deeper wisdom, a true wisdom. Our big idea for today, what I don't want you to miss is this. There is a wisdom that apart from God, we know nothing about. There is a wisdom that apart from God, we know nothing about. And this morning, we will see that this wisdom, true wisdom, is different from the wisdom of the world. We're going to see that one, true wisdom is upside down. Two, true wisdom is freely given by the Spirit. And three, true wisdom is easily discarded. So first, true wisdom is upside down. And we have to remember, the book of 1 Corinthians was written to a church that thought they had arrived. They thought they had it all figured out. In fact, they were so confident of this that they were even boasting in themselves. Paul, the author of 1 Corinthians, addresses this boasting problem in the passage right before this one. And he clearly states, as Bill preached about last week, there is only one thing that you can boast in. And that one thing is Jesus and his cross. Jesus and his cross, which the Jews see as a stumbling block and the Greeks see as foolish. God on a cross, God crucified, completely upside down. But you see, the thing is, it's not foolishness, Paul says. It's God's wisdom. And Bill was very clear to mention that last week. God is not anti-wisdom. And our passage today makes that same point. Look back with me at 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So there are two kinds of wisdom. The wisdom of the world, which is championed by those who are in charge and occasionally looks really appealing. But Paul says that wisdom, the wisdom of the world, is doomed to pass away. It won't last. But thankfully, there is another kind of wisdom, God's wisdom, which Paul says in verse 7 is secret and hidden. Now, it's not that God has been keeping this wisdom from us, hiding it like I hide cookies, <laughs> you know, hoard them so that Ashley can't eat them. I can have them all to myself. It's not, I don't really do that. <laughs> but it's not like that. God isn't hiding it from us. It's just that this wisdom was previously unknown 
and has now been revealed by Jesus' coming. And that's the key, to remember that God's wisdom revolves around Jesus and his cross. God's great plan of salvation through Jesus and his cross was decreed before the ages. This is what Paul says at the end of verse 7. It was decreed before the ages, but it was revealed only 2,000 years ago. Before that, it had been hidden, previously hidden, now revealed. And when God did reveal it, a bunch of people missed it. This is what Paul says in verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood, for if they had, they would not have crucified Jesus, the Lord of glory. If the rulers of this age had recognized Jesus as true wisdom, then they wouldn't have killed him. But again, true wisdom is upside down. Think about the Savior that they were expecting. When Jesus came, the Jews were captive to the Romans. They were expecting a military general, somebody riding on a horse with a a sword strapped to his side, ready to lead the Jews in a government takedown. But instead, Jesus came as a teacher, a poor carpenter, and he said things like this, the first will be last and the last will be first. The rich will be made poor and the poor will be made rich. The exalted will be despised and the despised will be exalted. Jesus rejected the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the rulers of the age, and he partied with sinners. Jesus said, the only way to save your life is to lose it. The path to freedom is submission. The path to joy is selflessness. The path to life is a deadly cross. Instead of self-inflated temporary wisdom, sacrifice, instead of overthrowing the Romans, Jesus was abused by them. And then, just when it couldn't get any more upside down, God in the flesh is killed by his enemies. He dies for his enemies. What kind of wisdom is that? It's a wisdom that apart from God, we would know nothing about. And it's a wisdom that is upside down. So if the wisdom of this age is doomed to pass away, as Paul says here, and if God's wisdom is upside down, then maybe we should be asking this question. What's the upside down thing for me to do? When's the last time you faced a major decision, or heck, any decision, and ask yourself that question? It's radical, I know, and it probably doesn't sit right. But, but then again, of course it doesn't sit right. I mean, what I'm challenging us to do is to go against the grain, to be different than the world around us, to be upside down. You know, I was recently challenged to do this by a high school girl that I know named Jackie Hilliard. Uh, Jackie is a pretty, fun-loving, high-energy, popular girl who is a cheerleader at her high school. 
Uh, the church that Jackie attends has a Sunday school class specifically for children and students with special needs. Uh, ja Jackie volunteers in this classroom as a pal, a dedicated one-on-one -on -one volunteer. And, and one Sunday, a family who attends the church unexpectedly brought their nephew, a 15-year-old high school student with special needs. Uh, this was a problem only because each child and student needs a dedicated volunteer, and this was an unplanned visit. Jackie wasn't scheduled to volunteer that Sunday, but she happened to walk into the classroom. Hi, Joseph, she exclaimed with a big smile on her face. Did you follow me here to church? As it turns out, Jackie knows Joseph from school. She sits with him at lunch. Uh, that's upside down. A high school cheerleader deciding to spend her lunch hour with a people group, people group who are so often tragically overlooked and left behind. But not by Jackie. Because she lives her life in an upside down way. It's upside down in our culture to live below your means so you can be generous. It's upside down to invest in community, to serve weekly, to reach out to a neighbor. It's upside down to keep starting new campuses and sending people out rather than letting church get easier. It's upside down to be anything but cutthroat at work. It's upside down in our fast-paced world to eat meals together as a family or to start your day in prayer. It's upside down to save sex until marriage. It's upside down to believe that our lives are better when we're not in control, but God is. Upside down wisdom. A wisdom that apart from God, we would know nothing about. Because that's just it, isn't it? I mean, there's no way we could have stumbled onto this wisdom blindly. And that's where Paul goes next. True wisdom is freely given by the Spirit. Look back with me at the text, starting in the middle of verse 10. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Yes, I know, these verses are rather confusing, and if you're a bit lost, you're definitely not alone. Essentially, Paul is saying that even though true wisdom is upside down, and we wouldn't stumble onto it alone, we can know it. True wisdom belongs to God. But how do we get it? How do we get to know God? Well, first, we have to start with the idea that God is different than us humans. This is a point that the Bible makes clear over and over and over again. One of my favorite passages is Isaiah 55, where it says that God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Just love that passage as a reminder that God is different than us humans. And yes, we are made in the image of God. The Bible clearly teaches that. And importantly, that means that there are, there are ways in which we are similar. 
But at a fundamental level, God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. Well, next, we have to think about the progression of getting to know things. If I wanted to get to know a rock, that would be fairly easy, right? I would just find a rock, I would pick it up, and I would study it. I would get to know it. But what if I wanted to get to know an ostrich? That would be a bit more complicated, would it? Has anybody ever seen the Swiss Family Robinson? That was one of my favorite movies. It was an old Disney movie. I loved that growing up. And it's about a family who gets shipwrecked on a desert island, and they find an ostrich. And there's this great scene where all of the brothers in the family are trying to chase down the ostrich, and they, can't, they just can't do it, right? Because that's what you'd have to do if you wanted to get to know an ostrich. You'd have to chase it around. You'd have to jump on it. You'd have to tackle it. You'd have to, you'd have to get it, and you'd have to convince it and coax it into letting it uh, be your friend and, and getting to know it. And that's a difficult process. It's a lot more difficult than a rock. But now think about trying to get to know other humans. And maybe you don't have to chase them around and tackle them, but I would submit that that's still a more difficult endeavor. Because see, to truly get to know other humans, they have to let you in. And for other humans to get to know you, you have to let them in. I mean, how many people in your life truly know you? This is the point that Paul makes in verse 11. That's why he asks, for who knows a person's thought accepts the spirit of that person? Are you following me? The more complex a being, the more difficult it becomes to actually know that being. And if humans are difficult to know, then how much more difficult is God to know? infinitely more complex, infinitely above us. If we are dependent upon other humans to let us in so that we can get to know them, how much more dependent are we upon God to let us in? The answer, 100% dependent. When it comes to knowing God, all the initiative lies with him to make himself known to us. We cannot know God without God. We cannot know God without God. And this is what is so incredible about the person of Jesus, because in Jesus, who is fully man and fully God, God has made himself fully known. And for those of us who believe in Jesus, God has also given us his Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit, being fully God as well, knows the depths of God. This is what Paul says in verse 10, for who knows the depths of God except the Spirit of God? And so as believers, as Christians, we have Jesus and we have God's Holy Spirit who knows the depths of God. And that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us revealing who God is to us. So true wisdom belongs to God and is given to us by his Holy Spirit which dwells inside of us. I know It sounds very mystical and strange and maybe even a bit unbelievable. But if God is utterly different with us, if his ways are higher, if if his thoughts are higher, then why should we expect his plans to always make perfect sense to us? And instead of focusing on the strangeness of it, I really want us to try to focus on the magnificence of the gift, which is freely given Look back with me at verse 12. 
We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Listen to the words of one New Testament scholar, D.A. Carson, about this verse. What a great God we have. Not only does he redeem us through the crucifixion of his much-loved Son, but he sends his Spirit to enable us to understand what he has done. So obtuse and blind are we that we would not have begun to grasp what God has freely given unless God had taken this additional step. End quote. So apart from God, we cannot know true wisdom. Only God knows how best the world should work, for he made it. Only God sees past, present, and future. We like to think that we know what's best. But if God is real, and I know for some of you that may be a big if, but if he is, then he has to know better, right? And God, he, he could have left us to fend for ourselves, I mean, we are the ones that have rejected him after all. There's nothing that says God had to reveal himself. But no, he did. He did reveal himself to us, and he gives of himself freely in the person of Jesus Christ. And that should prompt us to ask this question. What's the right response to a freely given gift? What's the right response to a freely given gift? And really, the only right response is to receive it with gratitude and humility. Receive it with gratitude and humility. Well, that's not an easy thing to do, is it? You know, Ashley and I were just given a generous and anonymous gift, and our first response was to try to figure out who gave the gift to us because we felt bad. And we didn't do anything to deserve this gift, so we haven't earned it. I mean, right, that's our posture as humans. I mean, this is even the entire idea behind Santa. His gift-giving is based entirely off of behavior. Santa's gifts aren't freely given at all. You get what you earn. But God's gifts are freely given. His son Jesus, a free gift. The life you could never live, freely given to you. His Holy Spirit, a free gift, the understanding and the wisdom you need to comprehend just what you have in Jesus. Totally free. Well, Ashley's mom was helpful as we processed this recent gift with her. She said, you just need to receive it and be thankful. But that's so hard, we said back in a complainy tone. <laughs> and it is hard, isn't it? but it's the only right response to a freely given gift. You know, sadly, some Christians have used this passage throughout the years to make themselves be superior to others. We have God, and so we're smarter than everyone else. We're spiritual. They misunderstand what Paul says down in verse 15. Verse 15 reads this, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Judge me, I dare you, these Christians say. 
But the deep irony is that's the exact opposite of what Paul is trying to do in this passage. That was the attitude of the Corinthians, the exact attitude that Paul was trying to correct. All Paul means in verse 15 is that only Christians have been both Christians and non-Christians. Right? Non-Christians have not been Christians. And so then necessarily only Christians can judge both sides of that line. He's not saying that Christians are smarter than everyone because we have this true wisdom. What Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us is you can't possibly know God without God. You think that you're so spiritual and you think that you got there on your own, but you didn't. God got you there. The Corinthians didn't have the right response to a freely given gift. And all too often, we don't either. So how are you doing? Have you received God's gift of his son Jesus with gratitude and humility? Well, as we've seen, God's way and God's wisdom isn't easy. It's upside down, and we're not going to stumble upon it. It has to be given to us. And that's why it is easily discarded. That's our final point. There is a wisdom that apart from God we know nothing about, and that wisdom is easily discarded. Look back with me at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural person, meaning the one without God's Holy Spirit, discards the true wisdom of God. They don't want it. We're back to last week. It's foolishness to them. Last week, Bill pointed out that for Paul, there are two basic types of people in the world, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And the dividing line between those two groups of people is Jesus and his cross. It's the same idea this week in verse 14. The natural person is the one without God's Holy Spirit who discards God's true wisdom, Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, there's a good chance that you find Paul's words here to be really offensive. And we pride ourselves in our intellect, don't we? And so you're probably thinking right now, what do you mean I can't understand? but you can't understand what you discard and count as foolish. It's difficult, I know. But if you will, allow me to use again the quote that Bill referenced last week from Lewis in Mere Christianity. There is no good complaining that these statements are difficult. Christianity claims to be telling us about another world, about something behind the world we can touch and hear and see. You may think that the claim is false, but if it were true, what it tells us would bound to be difficult, at least as difficult as modern physics, and for the same reason. So difficult, yes. But difficult doesn't always automatically mean untrue, does it? And Jesus' cross, as the dividing line, is bound to be offensive, 
It's bound to be offensive. And so if you aren't a Christian, and if you're offended by verse 14, press in and ask yourself why you are offended. And maybe, if you are a Christian, and you feel the tug to share your faith with a friend or invite them to church, then maybe this verse discourages you a bit. Because there's this idea here that there is a barrier to understanding. Try as you might, and we've probably seen this in our lives, you cannot make someone believe. But on the other side of that coin, I actually hope that you'll find this encouraging. Because the Spirit is always at work, and someone else's belief doesn't rest with you. It's God's work, and we're going to see this play out. Paul makes this point in the the next couple chapters that it's always God's work. And so, yes, even though there is a barrier and you cannot make someone believe, God's Spirit is always at work, and it's His job to draw someone near to Himself. The other thing that this means, hopefully in an encouraging way, is that no one is too far gone. I mean, even the person you think will never embrace Jesus, all it takes is God's Spirit. All it takes is God's spirit, and then they'll stop discarding God's true wisdom. So there is a wisdom that apart from God, we can know nothing about. And that wisdom is upside down. It's given to us by the Holy Spirit, and it's easily discarded. What was at the core of the deeper magic that the white witch knew nothing about? It was the sacrificial death of Aslan. What did Aslan say in the movie clip? He said, the white witch didn't understand the true meaning of sacrifice. Sacrifice is at the core of the deeper wisdom, too. At the core of the true wisdom of God is the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. And I think some may have misunderstood this passage through the years because they forgot that Jesus, Paul, always has Jesus and his cross at the center. Chapter 1, verse 18 in 1 Corinthians still serves as the thesis statement for this entire section. And it reads, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. We cannot separate chapter 1, verse 18 from what we just studied in chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. For Paul, Jesus' cross is always at the center. We can never move beyond the cross. That was the problem that the first Corinthians were facing. They're like, oh yeah, we got that cross stuff figured out. We got that gospel thing figured out. What's next? And that was their problem. That was their mistake. And all too often, that's our problem and that's our mistake. Right? Tim Keller says so powerfully, you never move beyond the gospel of Jesus Christ and his cross. You only move deeper into it. But all too often, we try to move beyond it. We discard God's true wisdom because just like the white witch, we don't grasp the full significance of sacrifice, of Jesus' sacrifice. So let me ask you, have you understood the true meaning of Jesus' sacrifice for you? Have you grasped the true wisdom of God? If not, why not? What's holding you back? 
Make today be the day that you embrace God's true upside-down wisdom. Stop discarding it. Admit that you need God and embrace his freely given son by his freely given spirit. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, thank you that you have freely given us your Son and freely given us your Holy Spirit so that we can understand just what we have in your Son. May we not discard your true wisdom, but may we embrace it, God. May we embrace it. I pray these things in your name. Amen.